Yo, 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 this is Miss Wanda. Hi, my name is Franz Francois. I'm the founder of Incultured Company, and you're listening to The Sweet Podcast. What's up, everyone? Welcome, family. Sakwase, how you doing? My name is Wanda Tima, and welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Podcast, powered by your favorite Haitian, Haitian diaspora platform, Lino Sweet, of course, where we are redefining the narrative of Haiti and Haitians every day. Well, we have a special guest today. We are excited to be back in the studio, and I feel like we are starting off strong because our guest today is the definition of that, in my opinion. <laughs> so we have France Francois, which I already think is like the cutest thing in the world, because I, I really wanted to ask if France is your real name, or is that your IG social media <laughs> No, that name? is my actual name. Everybody asks me that. No, that's my real name. So you're France Francois. Yeah, that's okay. on my verse. You want to see my driver's license? <laughs> <laughs> so we're here with France today. Before I get into her bio, so basically, you know, really quick, what you should know about her is she is a multi-passionate writer, activist, and change agent who's been featured in MSNBC, CNN, Huffington Post, Ebony, Latino USA, the Miami Herald, and the Washington Post. So you write right. I write right. You write right. (laughs) (laughs) So, friends, say hi. Welcome to the Sweet Podcast. Thank you for making time and sitting with us today. Thank you. No, I'm super excited to be here. Super excited to have this conversation and tell you guys about the work we've been doing with Encultured Company and, you know, just like see the Haitian diaspora really rise. Yeah, no, I was very excited. I, um, I remember the first time I found out about you and was like, oh, we should talk to her. And I was like, before I do anything, I need to get an understanding of what is she doing? Why did she decide to do this? And after our first conversation, I was like, yeah, we need to do this and we need to speak so people <laughs> get a you know broad idea of what you're doing. Because just looking at your social media page doesn't even speak to what you're doing with um, In Culture Company. So just give you guys a bio. France, Francois is the founder and CEO of Encultured Co. Friends is a multi-passionate writer and change agent transforming communities of color around the globe by redefining the way their stories are told and how we impact their lives. After the 2010 earthquake in Haiti, she left Egypt, where she had been working with refugees to return to her country of birth. To return to... Haiti. So you were working with refugees in Egypt to return to Haiti. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow. Okay, we're going to get to that in a little bit. (laughs) So you worked on social issues and um, and international development projects post-earthquake Haiti, acting as a conduit for getting the voice of the community to decision makers and helping the resources of decision makers flow to communities to make direct impact. Mm -hmm. So what does all that mean? That's a good question. (laughs) So... I was actually, in 2010, when the earthquake hit, um, was a week before I left for Egypt. So I was I had gotten a born fellowship to go learn Arabic and work with our refugees in Egypt. And while I was there, you know, I was seeing the pictures of the devastation after the earthquake. And I was studying conflict resolution and peace in the Middle East, whereas my own country was in shambles. And so I felt the need to go back. I actually ended my Aborn Fellowship right as the Arab Spring broke out in Egypt, came back and started working with the Clinton Bush Haiti Fund and started um, going back and forth between D.C. and Haiti for years, working with multilateral development banks and donors and thinking about how to make sure what was happening on the ground in Haiti with communities in Haiti was reflected in the projects and the programs that were being developed in D.C. Because the unfortunate reality is that a lot of decisions for Haiti are made in D.C. Mm-hmm. or in mm-hmm. Paris or in Canada. By people sometimes that have never even been Exactly, to or by people who went on a Peace Corps trip or a mm-hmm. mission trip, and all of a sudden they're the Haitian experts. Right. So, like, <laughs> I had to kind of, like, knee my way in to be the Haitian voice at the table Um, And oftentimes that table was like very hesitant or reluctant or straight up hostile to Haitians. But I felt that if I didn't speak up and say like, look, this is what the community needs, it wasn't going to happen. So I did that for as long as I could and as long as I felt that I was able to make an impact before um, the last intensia happened in the DR. And we started also working on human rights issues in the DR. 
Wow. So one of the things I normally get, especially when you talk about people that's trying to fight for Haiti, a lot of times people are not in Haiti. They mm -hmm. don't even really know what's going on. They're going by a lot of the stuff that's happening here um, in the States and saying, like, we need to make these decisions. But you made sure that you were on the ground there yeah. and you had a great understanding of what was going on there if you were going to be any yeah. kind of change agent for it. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I... I am grateful for those like that six year period that I that I worked in Haiti because I wasn't only in the capital in Petionville in nice hotels. I spent so much time in Atibonit, sitting in community meetings. Sometimes it's that went to like eight p.m. where each and every person got to speak and decisions were made democratically. Or going to the house of the Mambo, mm -hmm. you know, in the mountains of Cap, and really listening to like what the health issues were there and how they th saw things represented. Or sitting on the coast with fishermen who were talking about you know, how climate change actually impacted their very lives. Like, you know, it wasn't this theoretical thing. Like, day to day, they were they were seeing the impacts of climate change and then being able to then say, like, okay, this is how I can see, I can help some of the money that's coming through for these projects help impact your, your lives. I think a lot of time the Haitian diaspora is an impediment to mm -hmm. Haiti in that we support people um, and decisions, and, and we, you know, we go out with this, like, those same white savior attitude that we criticize Americans for, mm -hmm. because we think that your, our ethnicity alone is, is, like, is an expertise, and yeah. it's not. It really isn't. Like, Haiti, each part of Haiti is so different. Mm -hmm. the, the cultural context, the religious context, and also the reality people are living, that if you don't spend time there, sometimes you end up hurting more than you help. And so, you know, I've often told people, like, do not give money to this charity or, you know, be very careful about how you're supporting people on the ground. Mm -hmm. And that that takes a, a level of, like, humility to yeah. say that I'm not the best person to do this. Yeah. There's someone yeah. in Haiti that could do this better, and let me just send them money, you know, directly yeah. and let them do it. And it's not going to be a photo op. There ain't going to be no pictures on the ground. It's just going to be a Western Union, and yeah. that's it. But that's, a, that's one of the things that I've encountered, like, even started um, since starting Lean Suite, is just that. Um, a lot of times, like, you know, that's what we, we really do. We think we have it figured out. And I'll hear people say, oh, you know, Wanda, I need your help because I'm going to start this organization to do this and this and that. And I'm normally like, well, did you do any research to find that someone is already doing that in Haiti? There's already right. an organization that's dedicated years um, into this exact project you're trying to do. Like, wouldn't it make more sense to reach out to them and find out how you can be a part of it? And, you know, we can probably, you guys can work together versus you just thinking, I'm going to gather a bunch of my friends here and just go. Right. So, like, even with that, why do you think um, that is the case, though, that uh, mo mo most of the diasporas here even sometimes when there are organizations just prefer to do their own thing. Like, no, we're yeah. just going to go and do this because Haiti needs Haiti needs. Yeah, I think it's two things. I think one is that even we as in the diaspora have bought into this idea that Haiti is a basket case, that some that we're going to save Haiti. Like, how many times are you, you know, on the plane and there are, like, a bunch of missionaries with yeah. save Haiti, help with Haiti. The colored with shirts, the colored shirts, color-coordinated right. uniforms. Right, yeah. and, like, how many of them sometimes, too, are our own church members, our own families going with that same mentality that there's something special about us because we we had the privilege of leaving, yeah. and that's not true. Like that's that's just a matter of chance. Like who got to leave and who didn't. So I think what that plays into it is that we sometimes have internalized those stereotypes about Haiti, and so it becomes really hard to believe that there actually is someone in Haiti that's doing this already. Like when I've I've gone down to Haiti, and there are people who've started their own robotics programs because you know they they stole a solar panel off the light off the the street light, yeah. and they got the community kids together and that's what they do and so I've, I've seen like amazing things people do with just a little bit of resource and so I think that's one and then the second is that there is very much a lot of corruption in Haiti and it's it's difficult to navigate that red tape if you don't understand the system yeah and so a lot of people what they do is they they recreate the world they create parallel systems so that they won't have to go through the official channels but what you end up doing then is you weaken the official channels yeah. because you can't say that oh you know Haiti doesn't have enough hospitals the 
the healthcare industry in Haiti doesn't work, and instead of helping prop that healthcare industry up, you set up something else and you siphon all the, the Haitian doctors and nurses away from the public sector to the private sector. You just mm. you recreate problems, and you see that with you know whether it's Partners in Health, Doctors Without Borders. So many of Haitian doctors are in Montreal. Yeah. Why? Because if Doctors Without Borders is doing it for free. Why would what? someone yeah. pay a Haitian doctor? So right. we, we end up sometimes being part of the exact same problem that we criticize because you don't want to deal with the bureaucracy, with the corruption. But if we don't build up that Haitian civil society, we're, we just end up becoming this cycle. You know what I love about you? And that was like from the very first time I, you know, we had um, our first conversation. And then in, at NYU, um, when we did the panel discussion, you're so honest and blunt in a way that like I'm not really used to <laughs> um, um, with Haitian diasporas that's doing the work that you're doing because it's almost like a lot of times you find people it's not that they don't know this information or mm-hmm. know this but these type of conversations I normally have in private right, with right. people and I'll ask questions and they'll give me answers like that but they'll be like listen don't say yeah don't say that on camera <laughs> say, I told you that <laughs> um, don't quote me I'm not and, and I and I always say well how do like even someone like me that you know that's trying to help. How do I help if I can't be honest with the information? Mm-hmm. Or because the next thing is like, where did you get this information? And right. you're not even willing to, you know, do that. So how exactly do we change things if we're if we don't really want to be honest? And the people that really understand and get what's going on are afraid to talk. Yeah. So yeah, I I, I like even with your answer, I was like, okay, so she's she's gonna keep it real, real with <laughs> yeah, us. Yeah, we we'll keep it real. <laughs> I mean, you know, I might get some some DMs later, but. <laughs> So, um, in culture company. Mm-hmm. Before I even get into that, where did you grow up? Um, so I was born in Capayusien. Okay. And uh, my parents were actually um, human rights defenders and activists during the Duvalier regime. And uh, our house ended up being bombed because of their activism. And we left and went to Turks and Caicos for a while and then eventually ended up here in Miami. So I grew up most of my life in Miami. Okay, okay. So you've already come from a fighting family. Right. Yeah, okay. yeah. So for my mom, she's yeah. just like, whatever. Right, because yeah, that was yeah. going to be my next thing. Yeah. Like, were you doing what you're doing, Haitian parents, and then you grow up in South Florida? You know, our parents are normally like, oh, Miss Amy, sit up, like, please. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you come from yeah. that. I mean, I think that's an important thing. Like, my my parents came from that tradition, so yeah. they 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 are the kind of people that would pull us out of the class to go to protest. Like I remember, like um, being like right beside Marlene Bastien when I was a kid. You know, I'm the kid wow. holding up the sign and things like that, um, because they felt like we had a duty yeah. to our people back home. Because it's it's a privilege to come to the U.S. Like you you aren't special in mm-hmm. any way. There are hundreds of people in Haiti just as smart you know, as you, you got that privilege, so you have to give back. Now, that being said, they've also been very honest with me about the security concerns that come with that, with with activism, and just making that decision about whether or not you're you're going to take the risk as well Mm -hmm. as the rewards, because that's that's the reality of where we're from, too, is that, like, Haiti has been very successful at times at, like, shutting down political dissent. Mm-hmm. And if, but if we don't have those conversations openly, then how do we expect our country to move forward? Yeah. You know, like, there has to be that exchange of ideas that happens. There has to be an ability to disagree and say, this is just a, a disagreement. This isn't, like, a life or death sentence, you know? Yeah. So what did that look like growing up in South Florida? Um, like, even around that time, like, even now we see what Marlene is doing, but there's so many other people mm-hmm. now that, you know, her tribe is actually has a lot of millennials and people right. there. And back then there wasn't so many. Mm-hmm. There was groups, but not to the extent with now that you have social media and stuff like that. So what was what, what did that look like back in the day? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it, it looked a lot different back in the day because we had these elders who had they had done it in haiti and they came and it was almost like a copy paste model Mm -hmm. like you it was the same like um like bottomed up grassroots mobility um it was very reactive so i remember oftentimes like if if there were issues where like um boats full of haitians who come over and who are being detained or unjust immigration policies 
then, you know, we would react to that. I think that, like, the generational shift now is moving towards being more proactive Mm -hmm. and hopefully setting up, like, a political base for us in that we're able to, like, head these off and and get, like, pro-Haitian policies passed, both immigration, business-wise and economic-wise. So I think it looks a little different than when it did before. I think the generation that came before us, they had to be reactive because there was just so much coming at them at once there was so much anti-Haitian policies here, anti-Haitian sentiments that they had to deal with. Now we have the opportunity to kind of take a step back and think about like how we can be strategic. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what a lot of people are doing, um, just building on what that previous generation has already done. Do you think like the new generation now respect Mm -hmm. the work? Um, that's uh, a good question. Yeah. That's a good question. <laughs> My DM's going to be on and popping. Um, <clears throat> I think I think it's the same with, with talking about going back to Haiti, right? Yeah. Like there's this hubris in that some people don't understand like what it was like growing up when people said all Haitians have AIDS, when that was on the news, the mm-hmm. CBC said that, like every single la- layer of the government was set up that way, where when you go into the hotels, they wouldn't they wouldn't hire Haitians. Like some people don't have that historical context. So they walk into these situations and they're like, I don't understand why um, you guys do this that way and or why I should even have to talk to a Malin or, yeah. or someone else. And so that that's created this tension. But um, on the other hand, too, I think the previous generation, some of them are holding on to power mm-hmm. in a way that hasn't allowed the younger generation to, to step in with new ideas, even mm-hmm. if the younger generation does respect the work that came before. There, there are some people who, who should have taken a step back by now yeah. that haven't done that yet. And that's, that has prevented us from being becoming as powerful as like the Cuban diaspora or even the Puerto Ricans um and stuff here. Yeah. Cuz yeah. like even with the um with TPS, um I remember when I started taking TPS serious and trying to get a better understanding of it, that was around the time where I was like really having an appreciation for um Marlin, the work that mm-hmm. she's done cuz you I had to go learn about her and I'm mm-hmm. like, "Oh my god, this lady, you know, she's done so much um mm-hmm. in South Florida and you have like the gypsies and I couldn't understand why, like, like when she would set up protests and things like that, why weren't there more millennials out there mm-hmm. and more people? And, you know, like, what she, the work that she was doing was so important, but the numbers, I feel, just didn't add up right. to the situation and what was going on. Right. Like, there should have been way more people out there right. supporting her. And, you know, it's hard. Like, you know, you ask these questions, you're trying to figure out, well, what's the disconnect? And you, the millenni- millennials say one thing, mm-hmm. and then you have the older generation of people say, you know, something different. And you're trying yeah. to get people to understand that idea of okay how do we meet in the middle i just don't think you know we're even um there yet so yeah, yeah it's very interesting to hear you yeah. know yeah i think there's there's a lot of things that, were, that are going on with that like there's you know there are divisions too amongst the haitians uh their the older generation has their divisions the younger generation have their divisions and unfortunately we as a people have this king mentality. Like there has to be one king and a bunch of servants. Mm-hmm. Like that's how we, we operate as yeah. a people. And it's a direct reflection of our politics is that it, there's always a strong man. And so we haven't been able to like socially create a space where there can be multiple leaders who create a coalition mm-hmm. and that coalition, maybe we don't agree on everything, yeah. but we're going to, on TPS, we're like, all right, we're all going to be pushing for this. Yeah. You know? And so I'm, I'm hoping that like these conversations are happening I, and I know that they are yeah. happening, but it, it has to be a situation where there can exist three or four, five or six Marlins, gypsies, yeah. so on and so forth. And sometimes not even in the same space. Exactly. You know, because it's like if one, if Marlins good at what she does and then you have this other person that's great at marketing or that's, you know, great at going out and get funding or something, like right. we can all stand right. <laughs> together and be right. doing completely different things because right. I can't do what Marlin do, exactly. you know, but I know what I can do and I see, you know, how I could be supportive um, and, you know, her projects and things like that. And that's another thing that I feel like it's missed. Like sometimes... Yeah leaders don't have to be within the same space. Yeah. Like, you can have leaders that's within different spaces being great at what they do yeah. and us coming together and just, yeah. you know, moving 
collectively. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. would say, though, that I think um, there's also a difference between different groups of Haitians because, like, I see the New York Haitians mm. able to organize politically yeah. and strategically more effectively than Miami Haitians. Yeah. So that I would just put that. And yeah, I think that that could be a whole different discussion. About yeah. The <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that even with their, you know, little Haiti. Right. You know, yeah, like they got that, that done. Doing, they weren't playing. Right. Yeah. They've got several, and, you know, Haitian elected officials yeah. in different levels of office. So they've, they've And you know able, what's different with them? I've been watching. They get social media. Yeah. Because even with me, that's how I keep up with a lot of stuff that they're right. doing. They get social media. They send us stuff. Like they make right. sure we're aware. Like Union Sweet. Yeah. Listen, this person is running. Y'all make sure like they, right, they right. get, you know, that concept. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get into um, Incultured Company. So you're doing all this work. You're already kind of, you know, powerful within your own writing, what you're doing. You decide to start Incultured Company. So let me kind of give people, um, you know, some information on Cultured Company. So the company basically sold the seed of peace, conflict resolution, reconciliation, collaboration, healing, and dialoguing young Haitians and Dominicans in order to move from a divided past towards a shared future. You guys curate unique experiences, facilitate intimate gatherings, and design educational tools and resources to deconstruct the division that have defined the diaspora across historic chasm and promote, and promote transformational change in the next generation of leaders. Mm. We build bridges where others have built barriers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think Incultured Company came about. Um, so in order to understand this, let me take a, a step back. So in 2013, the DR had been for a long time denying people of Haitian descent um, their birth certificates, their documents, mm -hmm. their IDs, and all these things. And in order to understand this, I think it's important to know that since the 1930s up until 1990s, every single Haitian president was paid $1.5 million annually or every sugarcane season by the DR to send Haitians to the DR in order mm -hmm. to work. And it didn't matter what was going on, on cue, Haiti would send its people to the DR with the understanding that DR would send them back. Mm -hmm. DR never sent them back. And Haiti never asked for them back. And so instead of saying, wait, like, I, I sent you 100 people, you know, where are they at? Like, Haiti just kept taking money and sending people. So you ended up with four generations of people of Haitian descent in the DR, living in situations of basically modern-day modern slavery because they had no access to um, their papers to get out. There were checkpoints set up outside of what they call bates, which are basically sugarcane plantations, like the housing. Um and so even if they wanted to leave, there, was, there were guards along the roads that would always stop them. So they never had an opportunity to go back to Haiti. And even if they worked enough, they would always add on things to their um, fees and yeah. say, oh, you know, you broke this machine. That's another $100 that you're going to have to work off. So, well, people never made enough money to go back. Even if they did, there were never safe enough conditions for them to make it back. And so DR looks around, and they're like, oh, shit, we've got four generations of people of Haitian descent. Like, it's a quarter million people. That's a voting block. Mm. That's a black voting block Time in a country, right, in a mm -hmm. country ruled by a white minority. And they were like, oh, no, we can't do this. So in 2013, they changed their constitution retroactively and said, you know, it used to say that if you're born in the DR, you're Dominican. But now, nope, you guys are no longer Dominican. And it specifically targeted that Haitian minority. And then all of a sudden, like 2015 rolls up. And I'm working in Haiti, and I'm getting calls from my colleagues on the border saying that they're they're seeing like trucks full of black people, whether they're Haitian or Dominican or not, just trucks full in the middle of the night being picked up and dumped into Haiti. Yeah. And so we started um, working in D.C. to kind of highlight what was going on to Congress and the State Department. And before you even go into mm -hmm. that, so I feel like a lot of people think that 
this was just like new information. A lot of mm-hmm. people were just shocked. Like, wait, where did this come from? Right. Why didn't I hear about this? You know, is DC aware? Are they, and like, why was it like this shock? If this has been going on all these years, what was this? <gasps> I think it was social media. Because, mm-hmm. like, the DRs, you know, in the 90s, they, they did this. They did, like, a sweep. They, yeah. you know, they dumped people. They, they, they've done this continuously. But now with social media, you had people, like, reporting on the ground as this happened. People were tweeting pictures of the refugee camps. People were sharing their stories about what was happening to them. So there was this sense of urgency before that we didn't have. Because what would happen, like, the DR, the master of propaganda, like, the whole state functions as basically government-led propaganda. And so even after the Parsley Massacre, you if you look at like old newspaper clippings from that time, you'll see like the DR media, which is, you know, a, a hand of the government saying like, oh, no massacre ever happened. It was just, you know, a skirmish between a couple farmers on the border. Where and then you look at the Haitian side and the ha- Haiti's like, well, no, thousands of our people are gone. And so they were before we had the term fake news or info war, Trujillo and the Dominican government were the master of fake news. And so it was really hard then to get information out, but now with social media, everybody's a reporter Mm -hmm. and everybody was telling their own story. So I think that's what built this sense of urgency this time around and people paid attention. But um, even we weren't able to get like the political solution that we wanted then, which yeah. was that these people got their citizenship back. Cause that's they, what I was going to ask you. What, what you guys go to DC, what was the call of action? What right. Did? So we, we ended up bringing, um, groups, um, all around the country, like a hundred Dominicans and Haitians, um, like Edwish Dantica, Juno Diaz, a lot of like Dominican Haitian politicians, regular people down to like your high school daughter people came um, to kind of tell these stories and tell what was happening. And um, we also met with the State Department. So what we were able to do was to get the State Department to pull visas from Dominican officials that they could mark as human rights defender uh, abusers. But that's not what we had wanted to do. What we had wanted was for the U.S. to cut off trade ties because it was clear that the DR was violating several human rights laws. Like they were violating their own constitution by stripping people of their citizenship. They were violating it by making that strip retroactive. Like I can't say, for example, you can't dye your hair gold today, but you dyed your hair last month and then put you in jail. Like that, you can't legally do that. You can't retroactively punish someone but they were doing that um you know these like targets towards an ethnic minority like those are grounds for genocide like there are things they couldn't do that they were doing but again the dr was spending almost a million dollars at the time on lobbyists and they would go and say none of this is happening you know like they would pay a little bit of money here there in congress you know and that's it that's it Mm -hmm. so we we got what we could at the time, but then we also realized that perhaps we might never get a political solution. We might never get Haitian and Dominican leaders that are brave enough to say, like, this can't continue. We- so right now, these citizens or, mm-hmm. you know, non-citizens as... Mm-hmm. You know what they've tallied them are what now? Like they're just they're just stateless. So DR said they they put together a solution mm-hmm. in which those people could apply for their residency for Dominican residency for two years <laughs> if they could prove that they had um, papers before. But we have so many stories of people who would go in with their papers and their papers would be torn up in their faces. And that's if you even make it past all those checkpoints to get out of the batets in the first place. And then let's be honest, like neither Haiti or DR is like a bastion of good bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. So the vast majority of people didn't have any papers. And to this day, like most Haitians, like just average Haitians probably don't have any documents to prove where they were born. And the same on the Dominican side. Most people, if you're not, if you weren't born in the capital, you don't have any documentation. So they're just stateless. They don't exist. They can't, they can't vote. They can't own a house. They can't continue education past the sixth grade. They're just, they do not exist. The, The government basically civically wiped them out of existence. So with you being Haitian, you've, worked and been you know an activist for Haiti and Haitians all these mm-hmm. years. You decide to start a company and your company's about 
bridging the gap, bringing Haitians and Dominicans together. Mm -hmm. Why that? Why aren't you upset? Why, like, like, like this? Why aren't you raging? Like, why aren't you, like, why bring them together? Right. That's a great question. I think that one of the things that we realized, like I was saying, is that we might never get politicians that are brave enough to mm -hmm. take a stand, but if we get people at the grassroots to understand what's going on, to see the humanity of one another, and to take a stand, then those people can disrupt the system. Mm. Like if we get enough doctors, lawyers, teachers, artists, musicians, regular average people to say like, no, this doesn't make any sense, then that way we can disrupt the system. And so that's why our, our approach is very much grassroots and about the people, because we think that the people are the, the country. Like we are yeah. our democracies, we are our nation. And if our leaders don't represent that, the moment that we are like, not nah, that yeah. we're done, that's it. And so that's that's why we took that approach because we're never gonna have enough, as much money as either government, yeah. but we've got social media, we've got all these other means of really bringing people together and challenging those stereotypes, challenging the lies and misinformation, and really getting people to say like, this doesn't make sense and this is not what I want to represent me. A lot of um, in culture companies based on education. You guys do a lot of that. It's like a high emphasis on um, education, making sure people are aware they know the history, right. um, you know, of both countries and and everything else. And a lot of times, um, when people sometimes like you have people like now that's probably just learning about this, right? They might be interested in you know you know going your direction and following your lead, and then they learn the history and they're like, wait a minute, they did what to Haitians and. Mm -hmm. So then you have to do, you know, you have to deal with, once you learn the history, does that really make you more, you know, empathetic and want to, like, mm -hmm. get together? Or does it now cause more division? Because not everybody's going to have that. Right. You know? Yeah. I think, I think that's a fair point. And then the reason when we do our decolonizing Hispaniola workshop, we do it with both Haitians and Dominicans in the room. There's always the same number of Haitians as Dominicans. Is for you to have that that time right there with the other person at the, on the other side of the table and process those feelings right mm -hmm. then and there. Because I think that's a natural reaction to hearing that, like, you know, so many of my people were slaughtered or, or mistreated or whatever, and saying, like, yo, like, what, what, that, what is that about? Yeah. But instead of taking that home, like we're like, all right, like let, let's talk about this yeah. because th these feelings are valid, but do you want to car carry that hate with you? Like, is that what you want to pass on? Because oftentimes we see that our people are traumatized people. And I and why are, I mean, I'm specifically talking about Haitian people, yeah. like how much trauma is passed down from generation to generation? Like we have never talked about what happened in, in the earthquake much less during the deshukage um, of voodooisms. We've never talked about what the Aristide period actually meant for people. We never talked about Duvalier. We just, like, we get up and we go. Yeah. You know? And yeah. then and you pass that, that on to your kids as if that's normal. But we, we got to break that cycle. So that's what we do in the workshops. We break that cycle. It's like, no, nah, you're not going to take this hurt with you. Like, let's, let's deal with that pain right now. So do you think um, right now with the work that you guys are doing, do you think this has been more impactful or has it caused, you know, more division? Like you guys are heavy on social media. You have the class of the few people there, but you're heavy on social media and you have a larger following on social mm -hmm. media. So what has been the response to what you're doing? Right. So we we have the our workshops. Um so the next one is June 15th, and that'll be about about 120 people. But you're right, social media yeah. has a larger, um, we have a larger following on social media. It's easier to talk to different people. And, and I think we've been successful in creating a platform where people do have those conversations, like mm -hmm. in the comments, they talk, they ask those questions. And it's supposed to be a safe space where you can feel comfortable asking those things. Um, and so the, the reaction, the response has been largely positive from the people who, who want to learn and who want to take that, those steps from the people who don't, I mean, you've, you saw yourself what yeah. the response yeah. was <laughs> and that's, that's just part for the course. Yeah. yeah. Cause, cause one of the things that we discussed, so, um, when was it last month? Mm -hmm. So last month, um, and Culture Company held a panel discussion at NYU and it was with the, um, 
the at, what was the name of the group? It was you guys with NYU alumni, mm-hmm. but wasn't there another? Oh, no, it was us. It was just mm-hmm. you two? Okay, mm-hmm. and it was called We Dream Together, mm-hmm. and basically the panel was um, was a dialogue with the issues between, you know, Dominican Republic and Haiti and the vision mm-hmm. we have about, you know, bringing everyone together. Uh, I think you had, like, four Haitians mm-hmm. on the panel. Um, I was one of them, and then three Dominicans. Yeah, yeah, it was, like, like three, three or four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the conversation was great. Like, I was sitting up there learning myself. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, wow. And, you know, everyone was sitting in the room. There was, it had to be like 100 people in there. Mm-hmm. Everything was really, you know, it yeah. looked like it was really, you know, it's going well. Right, going right, well. Right. Then afterwards, they wait till you're done. And here comes this group. They're waving their flags. They're screaming. And, you know, they're hurling threats at you. Right. And, like, well, really, even, you know, their own people, because right. the Dominicans in there, they were mad at them for right. even being in a room doing this with right. you. Right? right. So you know you're going to deal with this. And even since then, since that, there's social media. People are threatening you. Your pictures are everywhere. Like, they're sending people to where you guys are trying to do this thing. They're going to shut this down. Like, mm-hmm. this is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So how are you guys handling that? Like, the work that you're doing, is it, is it impactful enough? Or this is a risk you're willing to take? Mm-hmm. Or do you think, like, they're going to get to the point to where they can shut you guys down? That's a great question. I mean, we we thought about it, about whether or not we wanted to shut down our next workshop. We had fundraised. We did a lot of activities um, to have the workshop. And we keep the workshops free mm-hmm. because we feel like, um, there should money shouldn't be a barrier to access to knowledge. So what we decided was that, I mean, our forefathers fought and died for that island, and we would be damned if some, like, Dominican white supremacists are going to take it from us. Like, it's mm-hmm. just not going to happen. So our calculus is that our island and the future of our island is way more important than whatever threats that they make. Um, and I think that the fact that they felt the need to come boycott our event and stuff shows that there is a real fear mm-hmm. among like the minority white elite in the DR that the the majority brown and black Dominicans will realize they have way much more in common with Haitians than they'll ever have in common with the white elite that run either country to be quite honest because that that solidarity has been what's gotten our, our people through several occupations, revolutions, and things like that. Like Haitians and Dominicans have always fought together against oppression and against imperialism. And the moment that that happens again, the white elite know that's a huge threat, and they'll they'll so they'll they'll continue doing what they need to do and we'll continue protecting ourselves and we'll continue moving forward because the work is so much bigger than us yeah um that we don't feel like we can just stop now because some people are are crazy like they're going to act crazy and that's what the nypd is for yeah now let's talk our people because you know like you know like even on our social media i've seen it when we post stuff about you guys haitians gonna keep it real right and they're like a, a people concept is why france you're haitian like first of all you started a company why do haitians always have to be the common why are we so forgiving why do we have to be the ones that go start something that bring people together like haven't we done enough like why right. like even with us like out sometimes we post stuff about dominicans and people are always like lean sweet they don't post about us like right. why are you why are you guys why does haitians have to be the ones that's always so cooperative and friendly right. and understanding when have Haitians been cooperative, friendly, and understanding? Okay, I don't, I don't know when that happened. That is not our history. Um, I, but I think that there's a lot of validity to that question. Um, there've been, there are plenty of situations where our forefathers have said the reality is that anything that happens to one side of the island impacts the other like we are acting like we're like two actual separate islands but it's one island and if somebody invades one side all they got to do is cross the river and invade the other if something you know if there was a cholera outbreak on one side is going to spread to the other like that's just the reality of living on one one island and so i think that there are a lot of those feelings the about the Dominican people that are very much valid. I, I think people's our people's pain and hurt is very much valid um, because we've all experienced slights or harm or worse from, from Dominican people. But at what point 
are you going to move on from that? Like, yeah. is that is are you just going to carry that pain for the rest of your life? And this is what I mean by historical trauma. Like, I I've seen some of those comments, and people are so hurt. Like, they think oh, yeah. they yeah. they think they're stunting on the gram, but they just they look really really hurt yeah. and traumatized. Um, and having grown up here, you you know you grew up in Turks and Caicos, like we experience anti Haitianism too. Like we, it's hurtful. Yeah. It it hurts. Right here in South Florida, right? Like, it, it hurts. It hasn't been that long since it's exactly. been okay to be Exactly. Yeah. And so then, for me, the question is, why is it that we are okay with the Haitians in DR experiencing that? Because that's the real question. Like, we're not doing this for the Dominicans or whatever. Like, we, I have Dominican counterparts, so they can get their people. Yeah. Like, that's why we do this together. But my, my focus is the safety of the Haitian people in, or the people of Haitian descent in the DR themselves. And um, so the question is, why are we willing to let them go through that? Like, why are we willing to abandon them because we are hurt about what happened to us in the 80s and 90s? Like, how is that fair when our forefathers, like, they fought for black people everywhere? And the idea was that we protect Haitians everywhere. So once the Haitian crosses that river, all of a sudden you're like... Like, that's, I think, is the, the question that we need to have. Like, when are you ready to... But are they even willing to comply? Is there any kind of, you know, compliance on the DR's part? Because, you're okay, you guys do all this work here, mm-hmm. right? So then how does that translate over to Haiti? Like, right. what, what does your work here, how does it affect the people that's there? Does, you know, is the DR even going to, you know, listen? Or are you now creating more problems for the people there? That's a great question. I don't think we're creating more problems because we work in solidarity with them. Mm-hmm. Like we're all we're constantly asking them, "What do you need? What do you want?" So you have people there that's yeah, complying yeah. with you. Okay. Yeah, we collaborate. There's Muda, um, that's uh, like mothers of, of Dominican and Haitian descent. There's Reconocido, which is a, a group of Dominicans of Haitian descent who are now stateless, like young okay. people our age. There's several groups that that work with them that we're, we're constantly, you know, touching base with on. And what they've mm-hmm. said they need is visibility because now you've mm-hmm. got you've got the Rohingyas, you've got Syria, you've got Yemen. There are all these other issues since 2015 that have become quote unquote yeah. more important, right? Like we've totally forgotten. There are 250,000 people in the DR that are stateless and that are being attacked because they're black. Yeah, that's really not even a conversation anymore. You got people here dealing with TPS. Right, exactly. So our attention has has shifted. And so what they've said is they need is like they need us to keep that that light on them. Because the moment the world starts paying attention, what the DR will do... We already know what the DR is capable yeah. of doing. So, I I mean, I think that it it allows the, a level of accountability because we have the privilege of being Americans and that they can they can get as mad as they want on social media, but what are they going to do to us? What are they going to do? Whereas, like, someone who's stateless, who has no... They have, they've got nothing. Yeah. Like, they're in so much more of a vulnerable position. And so we, we intentionally use our privilege to be that buffer so that if something happens to us, like, the DR... To them, specifically, the DR knows, like, the whole world's eyes is on them. Because mm. if, we, if we don't post for a week, I bet you people are going to be like... Yeah. Yo, what's going like, on? Yeah. In culture what's company, I didn't hear what's going on. Yeah. You know, like people are people are gonna ask questions. Yeah. And so that's that's the way we're we're keeping them alive um and, and amplifying their voices and amplifying what they're going through because the moment that that stops, yeah, the government is liable to do just about anything. Their government. Their so government. let's talk our government. Yeah. Because there's that that we don't talk about that too much as right. far as what are they doing. I would like to say they haven't done anything. Correct me if I'm wrong so far. Yeah. Like, what are they doing? Can they do anything? Are they choosing not? Like, where are we in that? Mm. So there, there are different levels of answers to that. Mm-hmm. So remember, I started off by saying that it was the Haitian government who sold those people yeah. to the DR. We, the first black republic freed ourselves from slavery, and then sold our people into Just slavery. Just know people about the hit history books and Google. Like, yeah. what is France Google. talking about? Google. No, I remember the I, first time I heard I, it, I was like, I'm sorry, what? No, I think that needs to be said. That needs to be understood. Because, again, when people are like, oh, well, if you're Haitian, why do you care? Why don't you care? How many of us have had, we have people in our family who've gone to work in the in the DR or Turks and Caicos or Bahamas or Cuba. You'd never heard from them again. Yeah. But it, 
in the Haitian concept, once that person is gone, they're gone. And that's that's problematic that we are willing to just totally cut our ties with our people once they leave the island. Like that that shouldn't be. And you see that in the diaspora. It's it's hard coming back because there's a sense that you're you're no longer with us. And so we need to have a talk about that with the government. So what the government had done uh, in 2015, they had tried to set up these um, mobile um, registrations oh, yeah, for yeah, people yeah. who were actually Haitian, who were actually born in Haiti, who were undocumented for whatever reason. There were these mobile registrations where um, the government would allow you to come, um, get your paperwork, all that stuff. Um, the DR tried to block that as yeah. much as possible. It made it really difficult for them to actually like get up and running. But for the people who are um, Dominican, who were born in the DR, like they're not Haiti's responsibility. Like if you're not born in Haiti, you're not Haitian. And if you don't have like a direct like familial tie, you're also not Haitian. So if your grandma, your your mother were born in, in the DR, you know, like Haiti's like, you're yeah. not. So like that's a that's a conversation that needs to be had about what dual citizenship looks like. But right mm-hmm. now that's not a realistic yeah. option for those people because they have no no ties to yeah. Haiti. And so so that was one thing that Haiti was doing. But on on the economic sense, Haiti is DR's second or third largest trade partner. And so they in terms of trade, they there was a period where like for a week, they blocked Dominican goods from coming into to Haiti, and that caused a huge thing. But the the Dominican and the Haitian elite got together and got that blockade taken off. And that that economic pressure was something like the GR what would have responded to, and it, like Haiti could have used its yeah. economic leverage to say like, look. Those people, may, they're not Haitian citizens, but they're of Haitian descent, and you need to treat them like people. Like, it doesn't matter where they're from, they're people. But Haiti, you know, leads with its own, like, interests of the minority, and it backed off that. And so right now, the leverage that Haiti had, it kind of, it used it up, and it, it didn't follow up on. So nothing's really happened on the Haitian sense. And there was a lot of, there's, the reality is there's no big difference between the Haitian and Dominican elite. They vacation together, they go to school together. You know, a lot of the hotels on both sides of the island are owned by the same groups of people. Like when you look at it, look look into who, who owns Caribe, for example. Um, so the the government has responded to that pressure instead of standing up for human rights. Wow. Wow. So once again, it comes back. I feel like this is a, um, as far as the new generation going, how we do things. It's more of galvanize. Let's get our marketing together. Social media. Let's be loud. Let's be effective. Right. So you're already doing that. You're, you know, risking your life for a lot of people you know, to be able to be outspoken and, and do the work that you're doing. So what does change look like? Like, for Haitians, that's like France. I'm going ahead now. Go, go, go somewhere with this. Mm-hmm. Like, what is your response to them? Like, how, what do you say to the um, Haitian diaspora? That's like, no, nah, that's, not, that's not how we're going to do this. Right. I mean, change looks like change on both sides of the island. Mm-hmm. Like, let's not sit here and act like only DR has problems. Like, change looks like an equitable government. It looks like equitable housing, education, equitable economic opportunities. So people don't even have to go to the DR in the first place. Like, that's what change looks like. On the DR side, change looks like a government that's reflective of its people and that that respects people regardless of your, your race, your color, your ethnicity. But, like, on our side, too... we do not have a Haiti for all Haitian people. Like, we need to examine why it is that there are so many Haitians in Miami, in Turks and Caicos, in DR, in Bahamas in the first place. And when we can have that honest conversation and we can push for change, then we won't be in a situation where we have to constantly beg for the respect of the diaspora. Wow. And the same question to Dominicans. Right. That may feel like that. What is your answer to them? I mean, I think that 
Haiti is the first black republic, right? 1804. The Dominican Republic, 1822, is the second black republic in the region. Did you know that? Nope. No. They don't either. Yeah. And that's a problem. Like, they're entire society has been built on this anti-blackness that denies who they are and denies their rightful place in society and therefore denies the the rights of the vast majority of of Dominican people who are black, who are people of African descent. And so what that looks like for them is to actually be able to take their country back from this white minority that has for so long, you know, taught them propaganda and denied them all the rights of someone who who is the majority of their country. So what does change look like through an cultured company? Yeah. So, I mean, our goal is to prepare that next generation to be able to make those decisions. And like I said earlier, I think there's a role at every level of society that we play in making change. Um, and that change happens in the diaspora, but it, we also plan to do work on the island as well. So whether you're a farmer, whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, an artist, a musician, what we plan to get as many people as possible to go through this process through our workshops with us. And so that at every level of society, they are, you know, placed to make decisions that are best for all people, not for a minority of people, not for just for people who look like you, who have the same class, because let's talk about class, yeah. same color as you, but for everybody. And when, when we can get everybody on the island to think that way, I think like that's when the next revolution begun. Because we're, we're in need for like closing the loop, because there were so many promises that were made to us in the Haitian Revolution that were, are unfulfilled. And I'm hoping that our generation is the generation that fulfills those promises. Ooh, girl, you got a lot of work ahead of you. <laughs> yeah, girl. First, I'm going to the beach today. <laughs> oh, you have a lot of work right. you know, ahead of you. Right. You already dressed for the beach today, right. so you might as well take this nice little day off. Right. <laughs> but thank you so much. Oh, my gosh. Like, I feel like every time I talk to you, I learn so much more. Like, you have me, like, ready to go out and start fighting with you. But <laughs> but thank you so much, you know, thank for being you. here with us today. Please let everyone know how to follow you and follow Uncultured Company and the work you guys are doing. Yes, thank you. So you can follow me at First Class France, that's 1ST Class France, um, on any social media platform. At In Cultured Company, you can find us at inculturedco.org or on any social media platform at, at inculturedco. So hopefully you guys follow us and we'll see you soon. <laughs> thank you so much, everyone. And this, our time is up. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you, friends. Don't forget to like, comment, share um, this sweet podcast on social media. We are on SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. So make sure you support and share this wonderful episode with our girl, France Francois. When is this episode airing? <laughs> oh, oh we'll do that. We'll, I'll tell you later. Okay. Because our workshop is June 15th. I don't know oh, if I no. It'll be it. before. No, oh, no, okay. No, go ahead, so let go me ahead, plug, go ahead, it. plug okay. it. Okay. So if you are interested in the work of In Culture Company, our decolonizing history. Manuela workshop will be taking place in Brooklyn on June 15th. There are a couple Haitian tickets left. So all my Haitian diaspora, my zos, please hop on a ticket, come see our work in person, and be part of this conversation. June 15th in Brooklyn. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>